Find a seat and meet some people around you. If you're at a table with a lot of people, turn to some other people and say, what's your name? How you doing? Thanks for coming to the Mill Sunday School. You can also turn to the book of Acts chapter 8 after you're done greeting people. But don't skip the greeting. The greeting is important. Wow. The book of Acts, uh, chapter 8, I'm looking at verse 26. Acts, chapter 8, verse 26. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts. And then uh, Acts, chapter 8, verse 26. Are you there? And there's Bibles on the table. We're talking all this month, we're talking about the Bible. So if you need a Bible, you want one, you steal the one that's on your table. I'm letting you. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Are you ready to hear from the Word? It says this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch. You know what a eunuch is? I'd explain it, but that's, you didn't come here to get an explanation of what that is. So just ask somebody later what that is. It's kind of weird. Like I don't know. Anyways, he met an Ethiopian eunuch. We'll just call him an Ethiopian dude. An important official. It does say this about him, that he was an important official in charge of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So obviously a man of power, a man of uh, official wealth probably. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was on his way, was sitting in a chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit of the Lord told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. And so Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. And listen to this. This is where I'm going with this passage. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And I want to stop right there and just show you that even in the Bible, there's, there's people in the Bible, Bible characters like this Ethiopian dude that does not understand the Bible. He's reading the, the scroll of Isaiah. Philip comes up and says, do you understand what you're reading? He said, no. How could I possibly understand unless someone explains it to me? And then Philip, the rest of the story that, I, that you could read later says that Philip and this, this Ethiopian have a conversation. And the Ethiopian is reading a passage of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, which just so happens to be about a sheep led to the slaughter. Just like Jesus was a sheep led to the slaughter. It was silent before it shears, etc., etc. And Philip leads this Ethiopian to Christ. A pretty cool story. But I draw attention to that verse 31 where the Ethiopian says, How can I understand it unless someone explains it to me? And today we're going to talk about the Bible and explanations and counsel that we need to be able to understand the Bible. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. So God, we do right now, we invite you here, Jesus. God, would you bring us people? Would you bring us your Holy Spirit? Would you bring us tools? Would you bring us counsel in order to understand your word, in order to understand the Bible? God, will we open up our hearts and our minds today? We open up just ourselves to the study of the word of God, which you gave us the Bible. And God, right now, we thank you for this book. We thank you for this, for this just a great treasure, this tool, this light that you've given us that we might understand you. And so we praise you and we worship you. And everyone screamed? Amen. Amen. 
Well, there's, uh, in our day, the greatest evangelist could, uh, you could arguably say uh, Billy Graham is the, probably the greatest evangelist of our day. Uh, back a couple centuries in the 1800s, probably our grandparents, our great-grandparents, there was uh, the Billy Graham of their day named D.L. Moody, Dwight L. stands for something, Moody. And he was, uh, <laughs> he was a dude, the evangelist of his day, said to have led millions of people to Christ. Uh, at the end of his life, he started a Bible institute, which is today called the Moody Bible Institute. Have you heard of it? It's a pretty big deal. It trains uh, a thousand plus more students per year in the Bible and understanding the Bible. And so of his day, D.L. Moody was the kind of evangelist, Bible scholar. He knew the Bible. He knew it well. He started a Bible institute. But the story is told is that he, he tells a story of when he first became a Christian. He became a Christian at the age of 17, little Dwight. Uh, I guess the story is that a, a shoe salesman told him about Jesus and he accepted Jesus into his heart. And then for the very first time, goes to church and uh, the passage that day, the pastor starts preaching. And like I did, we opened up in a, in a, in a passage that the preacher said, turn to first Timothy five twelve. And so a little Dwight there, 17 year old is trying to find first Timothy. He's never been to church before. He's flipping around Psalms, Chronicles, Judges, Exodus, where the heck is first Timothy? And he's sitting there flipping, going back and forth. And the whole time the preacher is preaching. And finally he kind of gives up. And this is kind of a good move. If you ever can't find a, a book of the Bibles, you turn to the table of contents. And so he turned to the table of contents. He saw that second Timothy was on page 300 and so, and so. And so he turns to page 300 and so and so and it ends up that he's in uh the book of deuteronomy he's like what in the world this is so weird so he turns back and the whole time the preacher's still preaching the whole time he's trying to find the passage and he's, he turns out that the bible's broken down into the old testament and new testament and in his particular bible the the numbering started over and so oh, he realizes that finally he ends up in first timothy five twelve, just as the preacher is saying Amen. <laughs> Closing his sermon. And I think, I know, poor, poor Dwight back in the day. But I think a lot of us have similar, um, just similar stories in our own life. And maybe we're at a point right now where you're still looking for the book of Acts, <laughs> the passage that we just read. And that's okay. That is okay. If you're still looking, get there. You find that passage. And then, and then <laughs> but I think we all need, we all start somewhere when it comes to the Bible. And today we're going to talk about uh, the Bible, how this is a very large book, how it is a confusing book. It's a, it's a hard book to understand. It's not the easiest thing to read. It's not the smallest thing to read. It's a big book, but it is the word of God. Amen. And so it's today's Sunday school. I'm glad you came. It's not, in some ways, it's not going to be as inspirational. Uh, it's, it's just not an inspirational talk this morning. It's a very informative talk about how to study the Bible. And uh, it's, a, it's a talk that uh, hopefully we'll, you'll, you'll receive and you'll be like, yeah, I want to study the Bible. Now I know how. Now I can better do that. So uh, before we do that, some announcements. Are announcements okay? All right. Uh, if you're new to Sunday school, there are first-timer cards on the tables. You might have to search for one if, if you're new. Fill that out and bring it to the back table. They'll give you a free CD just for coming. And uh, we just want to thank you for coming to the Mill Sunday School. And, uh, yeah, so if you're new, fill that out. Uh, the second announcement is uh, I think next week we are getting Bible reading plans. And it's something that I'm really excited about. Just like a piece of paper kind of folded nicely. It's the Mill Bible reading plan that will have chapters of the Bible and check marks. And uh, I'll talk more about it. I'm just excited that, that that's coming because I want to be a group of people known for reading the Bible. Don't you? 
All right, so, so we'll do that next week. Today, uh, this is just kind of a random announcement that uh, you're all welcome to come. Me and my wife and a bunch of other Sunday school leaders and some peeps are going to the 245 showing of the movie House. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Yes. It's a, it's a movie that Ted Decker and Frank Peretti, they're kind of like the Christian uh, writers about like demonic stuff. <laughs> They wrote a book, and then the book became a movie. And the movie isn't just any old Christian movie. It's rated R. So I don't know whether I should boycott it and protest the movie or go see it. So I'm going to go see it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure. Anyways, uh, so I, we're going 245. You're all welcome. If you, if you don't have anything to do this afternoon... 245 Chapel Hills Mall. It's not playing at the Super Cool Powers or the one that's right across the road. It's only playing at Chapel Hills. 245. So just as, if, if you're interested in movies and fun and rated R movies, <laughs> I'll see you there. Um, let's, let's do a little review. And hopefully you know that I'm half kidding about the rated R-ness. I, I haven't seen the movie. I don't know if it's... Anyways. Let's do a little review. This is uh, the skillet that we hand out. And in, your, in the skillet, there's always places for notes. And in your notes, the first point is, how hungry are you? Question mark. Do you remember me talking about that last week? Bueller. Bueller. Do you remember it? We talked about that last week. And uh, it's, it's the main point that if you, if you come here to the Mill Sunday School and what you hear me saying is, you need to read the Bible. You've you got to read your Bible. If you don't read your Bible, you're a bad person. If you don't read your Bible, God hates you. Um, that's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is reading the book of the Bible, reading the word of God, studying it is very important. Studying it is the way that I think the best way we have to understanding who God is. And, and what I want to encourage you to do is to, to not just read the Bible. I think that's good. But what I want you to do is a step below that is to get a hunger for reading the Bible. Because if you have a deep hunger for reading the Bible, then no one has to tell you to read the Bible. You don't have to wake up in the morning and say, oh... Got to read the Bible. It's what I do. No, if you have a hunger for reading the Bible, you'll just read the Bible. And so we talked about that last week and, and what developing a hunger for the Bible really means. And I gave you four points. And, uh, and I, I just want to encourage you and say that if you're here right now, is everybody here? <laughs> you're here. Uh, this is the Mill Sunday School. You had to get up early to come to the Mill Sunday School. And... Uh, uh, I mean, some of you spent last night, I mean, raise your hand if you didn't go to bed till like 12. Yes, that's awesome. That means you, you didn't have that much sleep. And, and maybe you were hanging out and with friends and uh, doing good things. But you got up early, you came to the Mill Sunday School. And I just want to encourage you and say that you are hungry for the Bible. You are the percentage of the mill that comes to the Mill Sunday School just to get teaching. And, and I, I think that's really great. So I want to encourage you and say that you're hungry. And then I want to give you the four points I gave you last week, just as a quick kind of reminder of what we talked about last week, about developing a spiritual hunger. And that's what we're talking about, developing a spiritual hunger for reading the Bible. And point number one, if you remember, it was don't eat junk food. Do you remember that? We said, uh, don't, don't do things that are, that are obviously sinful would be categorized as junk food or just things that just waste your time. And I'm notorious for doing random things that waste huge chunks of my time. <laughs> many, many of you probably do the same thing. But uh, uh, don't eat junk food. Don't fill up 
on junk food, but fill up on the Word of God because there's things in our life that can take us away from that hunger of reading the Bible. Point number two was eat healthy meals every single day. And if you're reading large chunks of the Word of God every day, then you're just going to begin to develop a hunger for that, and you're going to want more of the Word of God. And I I realize I'm I'm breathing, just breezing through these four points, but... uh, uh, we talked about them last week, and we do podcasts in those Sunday school. So if you, if you want to hear more about these, you can get that. Uh, number three was eat for two. Do you remember that point? And what we talked about was yeah, lead a group. Uh, to, if you're eating for, if you're feeding on the word of God and reading it and studying it for not just yourself, but maybe you're leading a small group. And maybe some of you are like, whoa, leading a small group. I don't know about that. But maybe leading a small group is all, all about just you and one other person sitting down at Starbucks and reading the book of Romans together. I consider that a small group. I would consider that reading for two and reading with someone I think is a really good deal. And uh, that's point number three. Point number four was don't ignore the hunger pains. If God wakes you up in the middle of the night and, you're, and you want to read something in the Bible, don't go back to bed. Just start reading. It's, it's a good thing to just to feel God's presence inside of you and feel like, man, God is, God is trying to show me something. I'm hungry for the word. Don't put that away. Read the Bible. Do you get it? You got the four points from last week? All right. When I was a kid, I had a huge hunger to read the Bible. Uh, I remember being in uh, elementary school, maybe like as a fourth grader or a fifth grader. And I was raised Catholic, and, uh, and I, by the way, have a lot of really good things to say about the Catholic Church. I think they're really great, and I just always want to say that. Um, and uh, I, w- I went to a little Sunday school program in my Catholic Church, and uh, for some reason, around, around fourth and fifth grade, maybe it was the summer between fourth and fifth grade, I just had a deep hunger to read the Bible. I don't know what spurred it or what encouraged me to do so. I wasn't a Christian. If I look back at my life, I wasn't a Christian then. I didn't accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but I was very curious about reading the Bible. And so, and, but there's something inside, I don't know, as a kid, you just you kind of look back and like, why did I do that? That's so dumb. But for some reason I had like feelings of shame about reading the Bible, so I hid it. And so I'd open my Bible at night, pull the covers over my head, a little flashlight, and turn it on and just start reading. And I got, as a fifth grader, I, I guess as a person going into fifth grade, I got all the way through the book of Genesis. As a little kid, a pretty big deal. I got into the book of Exodus, just and this hunger alone. And it took me months to do so. But I remember just reading at night and kind of covering my head and, and reading under the covers. And um, <laughs> one, time, one time my parents caught me reading the Bible. And, I, and as a kid, like, I, I just thought, oh, they're going to make fun of me for reading my Bible. Why, if my mom and dad caught me reading the Bible, they think it's great. I mean, but I don't, as a kid, I, just, I was dumb. Anyways... Uh, but they saw like the light shining in my room and came in. They're like, what are you doing in, in there? And I was like, Ugh. I put the Bible away. I was like, just shining the flashlight on stuff. And they just were like, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, <laughs> so I read the Bible as a kid. I just remember needing counsel. I had the hunger inside of me for reading the Bible. And I got through all the way through the book of Genesis as a little fifth grader. And I was into the book of Exodus. Uh, and book, the book of Exodus, if you get there, there's the story of Moses. And then right after the story of Moses, honestly, the Bible gets a little boring. boring. It, it talks about what to do if you have a freckle that has pus. And what to do if you, uh, you want to build the tent of the tabernacles and all the regulations. And as a kid, it gets very boring. As, as, even as an adult, it gets very dry compared to the stories in Genesis and the story of Moses. 
And I just remember needing counsel and, need, and having questions. I read the book of Exodus and just had all these questions. I remember asking my Sunday school teacher in, in fifth grade uh, the, a random question. I don't think I worded it well because she was a really good Sunday school teacher. And uh, <laughs> do you want to know her name? I can never say her name without laughing. I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm sure that I'll be judged for it. Uh, but her first name was Gert. And her last... <laughs> can't do it. Can't do it. Her last name was Smells. <laughs> Mrs. Smells. <laughs> Mrs. Gert Smells. And uh, really, no joke. Uh, and I remember asking Mrs. Gert Smells. Um, I'm sure I didn't word the, the question right because she had no idea what I was talking about. But I was like, who was that guy that ate that piece of fruit and, uh, and then he had to die? Uh, who was that guy and what do you think that fruit was? And she was just like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. The, and I, th- I probably said something like, there's like a lizard or something. And then they're talking. And then they're like, what do you think that fruit was? And my Sunday school teacher was just, she just didn't understand where, what I was asking. And of course, some of you are like, yeah, I, I don't know what you're asking either. But I was asking about the story of Adam and Eve, one of the first stories in the Bible. And I just wanted to know what that fruit was. I was curious to know what that fruit was as a little fifth grade boy. Was it an apple? Was it a banana? Was it an orange? It was something that I wanted to know. And she didn't have any idea. <laughs> I just remember look, her looking at me like, what? That, that story's not in the Bible. And I, I was probably me not wording the story correctly. But, uh, but she, I just, I remember two things. I remember read, having a hunger to read the Bible and, but needing counsel, someone to help me explain the questions that I had as I was reading the Bible. And uh, I, since I didn't have the counsel I needed, I didn't finish. I didn't, that hunger that I had to read the Bible quickly ran away. And that summer passed. And, and I don't think I read the Bible in between that summer as a fifth grader until high school when I, when I became a Christian. But the book of the Bible is, is a big book. It's a confusing book. I want to give you some facts right now. You could write these down. Uh, they're just kind of fun facts to know and tell about the Bible. But I want to, I want to prove to you that the Bible is a really big book. Maybe you don't need to need me to prove that to you. You already know how big of a book the Bible is. But the, the, the Bible is 66 books. There are 66 books of the Bible. And so if you, I mean, has anyone ever read 66 books? I mean, that's a lot of books, right? Um, that's a lot of books. If you read a book a week, it, you would still, I mean, there's, what is there, 52 weeks in a year? Yeah, so even if you read a book a week, you still wouldn't finish the Bible in time. The, let me give you some more facts. Uh, 27 of these books are New Testament books. 39 of these books are Old Testament books. Uh, in the New Testament alone, there are 260 chapters. And this is just a fun fact to know, but did you know that uh, the Bible wasn't originally written with chapter markings in it? It's kind of obvious, but if you think about it, you're like, huh, yeah. I guess when, like, when Paul sat down and wrote his letter to the first Corinthians, uh, or just Corinthians, um, he didn't... He did. <laughs> a little Bible humor for you there. Um, when he wrote the, to the Corinthians, he didn't like label it chapter two, chapter three. Those chapter markings weren't in there. He didn't realize, uh, maybe he did, I don't want to say that, but he didn't write it as a book of the Bible. He read it, wrote it as a letter. And so he didn't include chapter markings. And it wasn't until, get this, the 1200s that the chapter markings of the Old and New Testament were entered in. And so it'd be like, yeah, turn to that one passage where that, that 
<laughs> I mean, how do you tell somebody to turn to the same passage that you're at if you don't know, if there's no chapter markings? Anyways, it would have been very weird to read the Bible for those 1,000 years when there was no chapter markings. Don't you think? Just interesting to think about. Uh, so in the, in the Old Testament, there are 929 chapters. Uh, in the New Testament, there are 7,959 verses. That's a lot. And uh, in the Old Testament, there's 23,000 214 verses. And the verses markings weren't put in until the 14 and 15 hundreds. And so the chapter markings were put in in the 12 hundreds. And then it wasn't until the 14 and 15 hundreds, the Middle Ages, when the verses came into play. And so that, that's just kind of fascinating to me. So the book of the Bible is a huge book. Usually the Old Testament is around 1,500 pages. The New Testament is somewhere around 500 pages, depending on your Bible and the print. And usually it's like very thin pages. And so if this was a normal page, this book would probably be like this big. But it's very thin pages. And so the book of the Bible is huge, right? It's a big book. It's a confusing book uh, for many reasons. One of the reasons being it was written in a very different time than we live now. A very ancient time. A time that was very different in lots of ways. A time when women were not educated at all. Very different than today. A time when slavery was very common. Uh, very different than today. A time when uh, uh, very third world-ish as far as like... Uh, wealth was concerned. So if someone was poor, they were extremely poor and like didn't have shoes to walk around in. I mean, none of us are that poor. If you are that poor, you don't have sneakers. I will get you a pair of sneakers. I will go to the lost and found and give you a bunch of pairs of sneakers. Uh, the poor, poor were very poor. Uh, famine would ravish uh, whole communities, uh, communication. There was no TV, radio, no technological cell phones. Communication over distance was none other than just a handwritten letter. And there was no mail service in the ancient days. And so you'd have to send it with someone. Someone would have to hand deliver your message. And very different time, very big book. And I want, to, I want to tell you a statement right now. And if, you, if, you, if you've been coming to Sunday school for a while, you've probably heard me say this statement before. Uh, if you haven't been coming to Sunday school and this is the first time you've heard this statement, it may confuse you. And you might be like, what kind of heresy is going on in Sunday school? But let me explain. The, the sentence is, the Bible is not written to you. The Bible is written for you. The Bible's not, and you could write that down. It's, I think it's a, it's a big statement that we'll really talk about next week in the Mill Sunday School. The Bible's not written to us, it's written for us. And if that's the first time you're hearing that statement, you're like, what? The Bible's written to me. It's like God's love letter, right directly to me. No, it's not. <laughs> The Bible's written for us. It's not written to us. And let me, let me just, I'm not trying to trick you. I'm not trying to play with your head. But I want to say, like the, like the letter, the first Corinthians letter. Who was that written to? The Corinthians. The, the churches meeting at the ancient city of Corinth. Not the Mill Sunday School. 2008 New Life Church. And so I don't want to, I don't want to twist. I just want to say, the Bible wasn't written to us. But it sure well was written for us. And because it wasn't written to us, it's sometimes very hard to understand. There's ancient wordings. There's uh, lots of differences in how they communicated then as to how they communicate now. And, um, and so our purpose when reading the Bible is to figure it out. We have to figure out what the original author was saying to the original audience so that we can understand it and apply it today. It's a big book. It's a confusing book. Wouldn't you agree? Here's what I want you to think about right now. I want you to think about uh, personal 
tips that you use in reading the Bible. And uh, I want you to share, it's going to be a discussion piece if you're, uh, I I think discussion's important and we can learn from each other. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to kind of turn to some people around you. And if you're a little group, maybe you could look around and say, oh, come join our group. We're cool. And if you're not in the group, you're like, no, you're not cool. (laughs) But they are cool. There's cool people all around you. And here's what, here's the only thing I want you to talk about is maybe just to get a little list. And I want you to think for yourself maybe first before you start talking. What do you do personally that helps you understand the Bible? Um, because the Bible is a big book and it's a confusing book. And so what do you do? Maybe you do something before or maybe you do something after you read a passage. Or maybe you do something while you're reading a passage that helps you understand it. Would you communicate and chit-chat about that with the cool people around you for like... Two minutes. Ready, get set, go. Taking hold, breaking in, the pressure's on. Circulate, mesmerized, taken in, I'm moving slow so it resonates. It's time to rest, not to sleep away. My thoughts alone try to complicate. I'll do my best to seek you out and be myself and not in person. Let let me give you uh, just 60 seconds to wrap up, and then then we'll keep talking about this, but as a big group. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, well, we got some mics going around. Raise your hand if, uh, if you want the mic, and then the mic will come to you. And then uh, you might, if you're so willing and so bold enough to share either the tips that you have and you talked about, or maybe someone in your group has a sweet tip, and you're like, man, I want to I tell everybody about this sweet tip right here. Um, share it with the group. The mics are here, so get their attention, and then... Uh, and then wait for the mic and then turn it on. We got one here and then one there and then one here. So Jake first. Go ahead, buddy. Um, I was just saying you kind of break it up into categories. Like yeah. What parts of the Bible were written for what? Like Psalms is good for praying and you can read stories in the Old Testament. You read about Jesus' life. Um, letters of Paul and the letters of the New Testament yeah. are good advice stuff. If, so if, it's kind of like medicine. 
if you know what you need, you know what to take. Yeah, that's good. You read the, the different passages at different times. If you want to pray through something, maybe a psalm is better than the law of Deuteronomy. <laughs> good. Yes, Aaron. Well, uh, what's worked for me over the years is not, not sticking with one translation, perhaps reading something and going, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense in King James, and maybe jumping over to a New Living Translation or even the message and try approaching the same scripture from different translations, you can get something totally different out of the same verse from a different translation. So that's worked well that's for good. me over the years. Yeah, does anybody else do that, different translations? You know, there's the Bible, maybe you already know about it. It's called the Parallel Bible. It, it'll have like one translation on this side and the other translation on this side, like Message and NIV, so you could quickly go back and forth. It's pretty cool, in my opinion. I think there was a few more comments. Anybody? Bueller? Yeah, get the, get the mics back there. Run to them. So get, get the mic ready. And then, and then this guy needs the mic after you're done. Them, them, them. Okay, go ahead. Um, I was thinking that uh, prayer, uh, just continually praying while you're reading the Bible. Yeah, that's good. Because God gives us understanding of what we're reading. And he'll, I don't know. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the Holy Spirit's leading and and, uh, and how to understand this passage. That's great. Yeah, really good. Mr. Ben. Um, I was thinking just reading the Bible in context. Uh, when you read something, you go before it and read what, uh, try and find out what exactly the, the author of the book was, who he was writing to, what he was writing about. Yeah. And so uh, before it and after the scripture and uh, keep it in context. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, keep it in context. Don't just read your favorite verse. Read before it and after it. And then maybe you'll find that it's not your favorite verse anymore. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. All right. Well, uh, two more, three more comments, and then we'll continue. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Um, I think sometimes that we, uh, we try and read so much of the Bible at one time. And I think it's good to sometimes just read a couple of verses and really meditate on those yeah. things and, um, yeah, pull those things apart. So. Yeah, that's good. Stick with one little part and say, I'm going to be an expert in this little part. I'm going to read this part over and over. That's good. Uh, I think back there and then over here-ish. Yeah. That guy. All right. Ryan Davis, last comment. Go ahead, buddy. Just like you said that you've drawn on every page of your Bible. Yeah. <laughs> I like looking back at my dad's Bible, and it's it's almost got a note on every margin. Yeah. And um, so it's stuff that he's read and read and read and read and read. But every time he hears a sermon from a different pastor or a different um, recording or TV show or something like that, he'll go back and make a new note of what that sermon focused on with that passage. And it might be something different than the nine times that he's heard it before. Yeah, that's good. Does everybody write on their Bible? It's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> it really is. I love writing on my Bible. Well, uh, we're going to keep talking about kind of tips. And in your notes, uh, there's two more things I want to talk about, two more big things. First, how to pick a translation, and then some of the tools. And this, this is going to be just kind of informative, so stick with me as, as we talk about this. It's going to be a little heady and... Um, I always think the, the different translations of the Bible are fascinating. And I, I highly encourage you to take notes on this as I talk about this. Because as soon as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about lots of different translations in the next uh, maybe 10 minutes or so. And uh, it's always good to know like, oh, I have the KJV. How is the KJV, King James Version, different from the message version? What's the, what's the big differences? And so I'm going to talk about that right now. And first of all, I just want to say that uh, translations of the Bible are necessary. Because was the Bible written in English originally? 
No. In fact, I was, I was just researching uh, when the English, English, I can't even talk in English, English language came about. And the English language wasn't really even invented until the 400s. It, kind of, it was kind of a dialect of the Anglo-Saxons in Great Britain. And then they kind of, uh, and then like English as we know it today probably didn't even get invented and kind of evolve until the 1100s AD, till the Middle Ages, right before the Middle Ages. And so... Was the Bible written in English originally? No, it couldn't possibly have been because English wasn't even around back then. And so it needs to be translated into English because how many of you speak fluent Greek and Hebrew? Yeah, a few, a few. I, say, I see those hands. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, maybe not. Yeah, right. Maybe you do. I don't know. I, th- I think it'd be cool if you could. Uh, it, it, it would, you'd be a lot smarter than all of us in here combined if you could. But uh, there's basically three types of translations of the Bible. And if you look at your notes, there's some big words there. Number one is the formal equivalence. Number two is the dynamic equivalence. And number three is a paraphrase. Each one of these three are, are different than the others. And there's different translations that fall into either formal equivalence, dynamic equivalence, or paraphrase. And one of the best formal equivalents, actually, let me explain what formal equivalence equivalence is. Put a little dash next to your notes and put word for word. That's what formal equivalence means. Word for word. Like formal, it's very one for one equivalent to the Hebrew or Greek word into English. And so it's very word for word. It's in a lot of ways harder to read than a dynamic equivalence because it's it's, it's, it's more like choppy and more straight from the Greek New Testament into English or the Hebrew straight into the English. And a very good uh, formal equivalence, word-for-word translation of the Bible is the NASB. The NASB, New American Standard Bible, is probably one of the best word-for-word or formal equivalence Bibles you can buy. It was uh, translated in 1971, and uh, it's, it's kind of stood the at least 30-ish so years of time um, as, as one of the best word-for-word translations of the Bible. Does anybody use the NASB? Sweet, I see those hands. Good, NASBers. Uh, another uh, formal equivalence translation is, of course, the KJV. How many people are fans of the KJV? Yes, I see those hands. Lots of people love the KJV. And let me tell you what's so cool about the KJV. The KJV was translated first in 1611. That's when it was published uh, under King James, King James of England, the son of Henry VIII with Mary, Tudor, Mary, Bloody Mary, had a son named uh, James. He was a king, so we call him King James. He authorized a version of the Bible called the King James Version, uh, which is, he was contemporaries with like Shakespeare. And so the English therein is very, the ye's and the thouest and go unto the people just, it's just the old English. You know what I'm saying, right? You've seen a King James Version of the Bible before, right? What's so cool about the King James Version is that it really formed our English language. There was all these dialects, and it really helped form what 
our English language is today, the King James Version. So a pretty sweet version of the Bible. And lots of people like it. Lots of maybe the older generation likes it because it's what they're familiar with. And they're like, this is how the Bible's supposed to sound. When I read it like this, I know that it's the Word of God. So I like to read it in the King James Version. In fact, there's all kinds of churches. Maybe you come from a church, and I'm not going to make fun of it, uh, that, that says King James is the only correct version of the Bible. And uh, they might say, if it was good enough for the St. Paul, it's good enough for me. But of course, we know that English wasn't even around when St. Paul was around. But anyways, I think when people say that, I think they, they know they're joking. But one guy told me that, and I don't think he knew that he was joking. I was like, really? <laughs> but uh, uh, it, the King James Version was not the first English translation of the Bible. A name, man by the name of Wycliffe, uh, not to be confused with the rapper, but... Uh, Wycliffe, the theologian in the 1300s, was the first person to translate the Bible into English. Obviously, the English in the 1300s was even older than the King James Version. And so it was not the first uh, version. And um, here's why I, I, I might step on some toes, and this is just my personal opinion. Would you like to hear my personal opinion? Okay, I will share it with you then. Um, the King James Version, if, if I'm talking to someone that's like, oh man, the King James Version is the only b- version of the Bible, and they might bring out an argument that actually has some weight to it that says, you know, if all Christians had one version of the Bible, wouldn't it make translations and uh, understanding the Bible so much easier if we all had the same translation? I would say, yeah, I agree, but then what if you speak a different language other than English, or what if, you know, you just what if you just don't get the these and the thous? What if that's hard for you? And um, so if, I, if I'm talking to someone that says, oh, the King James Version only of the Bible, I might throw in some of those arguments. But for me, that here's why the King James Version, in my opinion, is not the best translation of the English. Are you ready for it? Okay, now that's just my opinion, right? So you're not going to come up here afterwards and hurt me, are you? <laughs> Please don't hurt me. Um, <clears throat> The King James is a very old translation. As I said, 1611 is when it got first published. And back in 1611, let's just say the New Testament was translated from a manuscript called the Textus Receptus. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. It is a uh, version, a Greek Bible, that was translated from four, no, six manuscripts. And so they had six manuscripts that weren't quite all there, all like 100%. And they translated from the Texas Receptus one version of the Greek. That Greek, Texas Receptus, is what they used, uh, that the, the group of people used to create the King James Version of the Bible. Now, that version is... It's, it's a great New Testament, um, but then you run into little problems about uh, manuscript stuff. And I want to preface this manuscript stuff and the problems thereof with NBD. They're really not that big of a deal. They're tiny little wordings. Would you like to see one? All right. Uh, John fourteen seven. And, and this is, you're going to read this and be like, who cares? Not a big deal. Lots of people do care about this stuff, and it is the Word of God. So in some senses, we should care about it, but in some senses, we should realize that it's really not that big of a deal. And if you read John fourteen seven, it says this. I'll, I'll wait a second to, for you to get there. And if after I keep going, you're still turning, you turn there. You get there. John 14, verse 7, uh, it says, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And this is a very famous passage about Jesus talking about him and the Father are one. And he said, if you knew me, you would know my Father as well. Makes perfect sense, right? Basically, it's saying, if you recognize me, you recognize the Father. Here I am, here is the Father. That's what he's saying, right? 
Right. And so if you read down, some of you have like manuscript notes in your Bible. In fact, almost all Bibles have it. Even travel Bibles have it. Uh, it'll say like verse 7, it has some manuscripts say, if you really have known me, you will know. Do you see that? Do some of your Bibles have that? Raise your hand if your Bible has that. It's like, a, maybe it, may, it might take a second to find it. You probably don't look at that stuff very often because it's, it's probably very small writing and it's probably somewhere near the bottom before the study notes if you have a study Bible. But it says, some early manuscripts say, if you really have known me, you will, you will have known. And, and, but my NIV says, if you really knew me, you would know. Do you hear the past tense-ness in that? It's, those kinds of things really confuse me. I'm not an English major, uh, never have been, and those things confuse me. The, the KJV says, if ye had known me, whereas uh, the NIV says, if you knew me. Big difference, huh? <laughs> no, it's not a big difference, first of all. In the Greek, it's, it's, one, it's either a T-A-I or a N. AI that makes the difference of had known me or knew me. It's a really big difference, huh? Well, here, here's the deal with that. The, the KJV is going off the Textus Receptus, those six manuscripts, and, and so they translate it with those manuscripts that say, if the had known me, whereas the NIV is translated in the 1970s with not just six manuscripts, but guess how many? 5,000 plus manuscripts. Pretty big deal. Pretty big difference in the number of manuscripts. And so we have found out since 1611 that this translation, uh, the King James Version, is probably incorrect as to what the original really was. It probably really was if you really knew me, not had known me. That's a big difference, don't you think? No, it's not that big of a difference, first of all. And in fact, I asked some staff members, I asked Noel and Aaron, what's the difference between had known and knew me? And they were both like, there's a big difference. And then they both kind of said different things as to what the difference was. So anyways, and I I have no idea what the differences between had known and knew me are. Do you? No, you're not English scholars. (laughs) I could barely speak myself. Anyways, uh, so that's... Here's, here's the big point of all that. And I feel like I just talked way too much about the differences between the King James Version and the NIV Version. Is that the NIV has more manuscript evidences for the reasons in which they chose the wordings of some passages. Therefore, it is on that basis of being more accurate to the originals that I like, for instance, the, the NIV over the KJV. Does that make sense? So you could disagree with me. You could still like your KJV better for various reasons. But that's the reason why I like uh, newer versions compared to the King James version of the Bible. Is that okay with everyone? You could come talk to me later about that if, you, if you're a big King James fan. And we could talk more about it. But uh, that's, that's my thinking behind it. Okay, so another uh, formal equivalent. Let's move right along. Let's, uh, uh, so we're still under how to pick a translation for formal equivalence, and we're looking at the New King James Version now. How many of you have the New King James Version? Probably a lot more of you than the King James Version. The New King James Version was uh, first translated in 1979, and it keeps the translation. So if you read your New King James Version, like at John 14:7, it, it will still have that um, old way of translating it without the newer manuscripts, but it will take out all the these and the thous and the thouists and the... 
the old language and translates it into a newer language. So the New King James Version is just an updated, the these and the thous of the King James Version. Make sense? All right, let's go right to the dynamic equivalence. So this is uh, how to pick a translation. We are now at the dynamic equivalence uh, translations of the Bible. And a really good, it's really kind of falls on the fence between dynamic equivalence and formal equivalence is the NIV version of the Bible. So put NIV next to dynamic equivalence. Actually, I should probably talk about what dynamic equivalence even means, first of all. And dynamic equivalence, put next to it uh, thought for thought or phrase for phrase, not paraphrase. That's different. Put thought for thought or phrase per phrase. And it's, it's taking not whole sentences, but little phrases and translating them as, as a total into English instead of the exact word for word. And here's what's good about that. I mean, the bad is it's not word for word. The good of that is that it's easier to read and it's easier to understand. And I remember being in Peru with uh, me and Evan Martin went to Peru and he, we got to talk to some pastors. Then we got to preach at a couple churches and we talked about the differences in having, um, there was two guys that would translate for us. So we got to like speak to a really small church. It's actually a really funny story of how I thought I was going to speak to a all men's accountability group, but then it turned out, why don't you speak to the whole church? So I had this <laughs> message about men's accountability ready for the whole church. <laughs> It was really awkward. Um, but me and Evan had conversations about the different translators. There was one guy that was supposedly uh, very good word-for-word English into Spanish. And so he would just kind of sit there. He was very calm. And he would just, he would just very accurately translate the word-for-word English into Spanish as we were preaching. And then we had this other guy that we liked better because he was a pastor and his English wasn't as good. And, his, but it, and so he, he had a hard time understanding what we were saying, but he would translate it into Spanish in such a way that if I said a joke, that people would at least smile. Whereas the other guy, I would say a joke and people would just sit there. And so I'm, I'm thinking in my head, they're not getting it. And it probably was because it wasn't an equivalence that he, that, that, uh, that the preacher, that my translator friend needed to kind of equivalize dynamic and dynamic is kind of flow with the translation. I say that all to say that it's uh, dynamic equivalence is a phrase for phrase or a thought for thought. And it's usually more easy to understand. So the NIV would be a borderline on the fence between a formal equivalence and a dynamic equivalence. And uh, <clears throat> it was translated in 1978 and uh, something else that the NIV does, which is kind of cool, is it, is it adds those little headings to uh, not, not just chapters, but like paragraphs. As, like, for instance, in uh, John 14, it says, Jesus, the way to the Father. And then it has that passage about Jesus uh, talking about he is the, also the Father. So that's kind of cool. So that's the NIV, more of a dynamic equivalence. Another one that's kind of on the fence is an NRSV. New Revised Standard Version, which is a revision of the American Standard Version, also called the Standard Bible, which is an American English revision of the Revised Version, which itself is a revision of the King James Version. (laughs) Why all the revisions? Why all the updates? In fact, there's even like the New International Version, as if that wasn't new enough. Today is the today we have the TNIV, the today's New International Version. Why do we have all these updates and revisions? Why? Because like it or not, the English language kind of changes. 
dialects change. We have new words. We talk a little differently now than we do 60 years ago or 100 years ago. And so there's needs for revisions to make it more understandable so that the average person can pick up a Bible and read it and understand it. Got it? Good. Uh, so the TNAV talked about that. Let's look at, uh, let's just jump right ahead. I, there's a couple more translations that I would love to talk about, but uh, I want to talk about the paraphrase. The paraphrase is, uh, there's, there's two that, that are really popular today. The New Living Translation, excuse me, not the New Living. The Living Translation is a paraphrase as well as the message. A lot of you have the message. I have a copy of the message. It's a pretty cool translation of the Bible. What a paraphrase is, and you should probably be aware that what you have is a paraphrase, if you're reading a paraphrase, is that it's not a dynamic equivalent. It's not a formal equivalent. It is someone's sentence-by-sentence rewording of the Greek and, English, Greek and Hebrew or the English into common English. And so the, the Living Translation or the Living Bible is a family Devo Bible. Uh, there's lots of pictures in it, by the way. Pretty cool. Uh, it is a paraphrase from the American Standard Version. So a team of people took the American Standard Version and paraphrased it very easily into English. That's what it is. The Message Bible, Eugene Peterson. Raise your hand if you have a Message Bible. Lots of us. It's probably, it's probably it's becoming really popular. It is a paraphrase version of the Bible. And so what that means is uh, Eugene Peterson and his team of people sat down. But that, what's really cool is they looked at the Hebrew and the Greek. And they made it very easy to understand in the common English language that you and I talk in. And so what's cool about it is that it's very easy to read. You might be reading something in the NIV and be like, what in the world does this mean? And then you read it in the message and you're like, oh, that's what that means. It's much easier to understand. And so the strength of the message, of course, is that it's easier to understand. The, uh, the drawback to the message is that you just have to realize that it is a paraphrase. Some of the wording is, isn't even close to what the, the Bible has, but it's equivalent. It's it's what it really means is equivalent in today's language. A lot of idioms are changed and made for today. And a lot, just a lot of the wording is very simple to read, but very different than the actual Greek and Hebrew. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of translations. Do you guys feel full of stuff right now? feel full of stuff. I have a lot more stuff to talk about, but we only have five minutes left. And so um, I think we'll talk about the tools next time. And I'll just close with this story of, uh, I talked about the first time I ever read the Bible was when I was in fifth grade and I read through the whole book of Genesis. The first time as a Christian I ever read a book of the Bible was uh, right after I became a Christian. Uh, I had a friend named Bo Bannister and me and Bo Bannister were best of buddies. We'd hang out at lunchtime and uh, talk about stuff and eat pizza till we were sick. And uh, he was a Christian. He really was very instrumental in my coming to Christ. And he would answer a lot of my questions. And he said, he said, I should read the Bible and said, sweet, I'll read the Bible. And I asked him, what book of the Bible are you reading? And he said, Ecclesiastes. And so Ecclesiastes, this very weird book of the Bible, raise your hand if you've ever read Ecclesiastes. It's very weird. Don't you think it's like life is meaningless and meaningless, meaningless. There's nothing new under the sun. And it's, it's kind of a depressing book and a very confusing book, (laughs) especially like if someone, some of you came up to me and said, what, I've never read the book of the Bible before. What book should I start, start out with? I would not say Ecclesiastes. And so, but, 
My friend Bo was reading it, so I read it, and I just had all these questions. And I would write the questions down. And I didn't want to carry paper uh, when I went to lunch because I didn't want to be made fun of as a nerd. And so I'd write questions down on my hand. Like all down my arm, I'd have questions about the book of Ecclesiastes written down on my hand. And, and me and my, my friend Bo would go out to lunch and be eating pizza and soda and getting sick. And I would just run through all these questions. Like, who was this dude that wrote Ecclesiastes? Oh, it was Solomon? What was Solomon doing during that time? Why do you think he wrote this? What do you think this means? And he would answer all of my questions, and at least to the best of his ability. And what he began to talk about, and, and maybe it was just because he kind of got frustrated with like the questions that I would come to lunch with written all over my hand like a clown. But he began telling me, well, why don't you read the passage again? And he said, and he would say a couple of things, and, and look at it in your study Bible, because I had a study Bible at that time. And then he would say, always say something really profound. He would say, and then pray about it. And then pray that God might give you an understanding of what this verse is supposed to mean. And he said that on his Bible, and he showed me his Bible, his Bible has uh, on the binding right here, he wrote something and it says, and my Bible has it in pencil, but he wrote it in big black marker. It said, pray first, like big, right across the Bible. And what he showed me that for, and what he had that written on his Bible for, is that he said, you always want to pray before you read the Bible. Pray that God might enlighten you with an application or something that's, that you need to know straight from God and that the Word of God is going to show you. And he said that the Holy Spirit is the counselor. Did you know that's another name for the Holy Spirit, the counselor? And the best counselor that we have for reading the Bible um, isn't a commentary. It isn't, um, it isn't another book that we might read with. It's not our notebook. It's the Holy Spirit. And my friend Bo would always tell me that, you know, the Holy Spirit, as you read the Bible and as you grow in your Christian faith, the Holy Spirit is going to guide your reading. The Holy Spirit is going to guide you as you apply it to your life. And that is the best counselor. So let's pray. God, we thank you right now for your Bible. We thank you for the Word of God. God, we ask you right now for a hunger to be inside of us. God, we ask you that that you might fulfill our hunger with true spiritual nourishment that comes only from your word. God, we praise you and we thank you that the Bible that you've given to us is, is, is worthy of our reading, is worthy of our lives being dedicated to studying it, understanding it, translating it, and, and bringing it into our lives for today. And God, this whole month as we talk about the Bible and, and sometimes just go into very heady practices of how to read the Bible, God, I just pray for that hunger to be inside of us, that we might open our lives and be so hungry for your knowledge and your truth that we'll open the Bible and know who you are and that the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will encourage us and enlighten us as to your truth. So God, we praise you and we thank you. And everybody said, Amen. All right, my friends, I will see you next week or at the sweet R-rated movie today at 2.45.